8th, meeting of the Finance Committee to order. As soon as I get my glasses, I can see them on the agenda. Do we have anyone with public comment? I don't see anyone on Zoom. Yes, I do. Any comment from the Zoom world? We have no minutes to approve. Which brings us to the build-out deep dive series, land use permitting and community development, which includes building inspections, community planning, and development and health. I missed that. Just sorry, just on the minutes. So I sent them last week. Should I be yeah. copying yeah. someone else to get them on the agenda? I sent three sets of them last week. I just want to make sure. Yeah, uh, Julie. Okay. Yep. Thank you. Do that. For this future one. I'll okay. resend all of those plus tonight's all in one. That'd be great. So Thanks, Carol. Appreciate that. Mr. Helen, would you like to introduce or what? Yeah, just, um, <clears throat> just uh, I think this might be the first time, Mr. Chairman, uh, health inspections planning um, and conservation have ever had a, a deeper dive explanation of what they do outside of budget hearings before this committee so um, it's long overdue and they've got a PowerPoint presentation here um, I've asked them to keep it to um, just generally their basic missions and strategic initiatives um, all of these departments here I believe if I'm not mistaken uh, have a rare a declaration most people don't realize which is actually state law uh, requires that these uh, agencies exist um, much to the shock of most people there's no law that says we have to have police or fire or other things but we actually have to have a board of health and a public health agent and other things like that so um, I'll pass it over to Amy and Gus I'm not sure who's going first although it looks like Gus and so we'll start off with the building commissioner I think he's going to do a, a, a walk and talk. Vegas dance. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sit down. Chairman of the board's over here. Right? <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. My name is Gus Brown, I'm the building commissioner. I've been. Oh, no. Is it on? There you go, there you go Gus. Um, my name is Gus Brown, I'm the building commissioner for the town of Franklin. I've worked here for 25 years, which is. Um, something that would buy in the blink of an eye. Thanks, Steve. Um, but I'm proud to do it. And as I go through my presentation, too, if you have any questions, please stop me in the middle. I'll answer any hours did you put in this weekend. Um, this weekend, there were over 25 phone calls from the uh, police and fire department. And then Monday morning and Tuesday morning, Mr. Chairman, too, as well. But it was a tough weekend for cold weather for sure and buildings um, but we get through it and we'll continue to serve the public as best we can uh, maybe could we go to the next slide this is my staff um, the only exception is the third one down is Tyler Paslaski he's actually more with community planning than he is with me he, hel he helps me out in the morning um, he's got that great story that he started three days before it shut down for COVID and he's still here. So he was uh, he was my anchor, he was my wingman through all of this. Bernie Mullaney, my electrical inspector, he's second from the bottom. 
and Richie Canetta are my mechanical inspectors, uh, or my mechanical inspector, they're, they're still with me and they're doing a great job too. Uh, Those are their hiring dates, by the way. <laughs> I, yep. Richie is a cousin. Incredible. Yes. I went to his 80th birthday, I think, seven years ago. <laughs> that would be accurate, yes. That would be accurate. Is that 60 years? 50 years? 63? <laughs> yes. Yes, 60 years. Yes. Um, next 60 slide. years. A 60. It'll be a hell of a retirement party, huh? We <laughs> always have to have a celebration for 60 years of service. So these are my daily functions or the, my strategic um, initiatives. What we do basically is we review and process residential and commercial building permits. That's the core of what we do. We also protect the health and welfare of occupants through our periodic inspections of multifamilies, restaurants, schools, public and private buildings. One of the biggest things that I do um, with my job, uh, being the department head, is zoning interpretation and enforcement. We have a a zoning, um, many zoning bylaws have a zoning book that is really the Bible of what we do. I also respond to fires and other emergencies. Um, next slide, Amy. Um, this is our online system that was implemented uh, June of 2019, and all I can say is thank God for Kate, who's here. Um, she helped us get through it. Jamie also was very instrumental in um, getting this off the ground, and this saved us during COVID. Um, we get a lot less foot traffic. Our permit online is very, um, it's very seamless. Um, most people like it, um, and I always tell them, if I can do it, you can do it um, online. So it, it works out well for us. Uh, next slide, please. Part of the process of what we do after we issue a building permit is we do field inspections. This is a new house foundation that's going in or went in um, up at Countryside Estates. Next slide, please. And the last slide here, and I'll take questions afterwards, is um, the, pro the process of, of installing a ground mount solar farm on Spring Street. I don't know if this is our largest ground mount or I think it possibly is. Um, and it's just about ready to, uh, to be lit up, so to speak. And that's pretty much it in my presentation, and I'll take any questions that you have. It was too quick. <laughs> you yeah, one line tonight. No. <laughs> Figured there'd be plenty of questions about development. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> I have a question. Sure. I don't know if it's a live steel or whatever, that back when they were building the houses on the north side of Oak Street, Toll Brothers. Yes. That the building inspector, whoever it was, I don't know if it was you or before, made them, they built a house, didn't get thing, and they made them take it down to the ground. Is that something that would happen? Considering, I suppose it has to, you have to factor in history with the builder. You, you never want that to happen. It's very possibly possible that it did, especially if it didn't meet the setbacks of what a new house is required to meet. There was a, there was a turbulent time back in the 90s, Mr. Chairman, where we built 372 houses in one year. 
So it wouldn't surprise me if that actually happened, but on my watch and my previous boss, um, we never ran into that. In some cases, once you issue a building permit, it's very difficult to rescind it, especially if they've gone along. There was no permit. Well, that was the then that's a different story. <coughs> but generally, when a building permit is issued and work is started, there's some legal aspects of what I do that sometimes prohibit me from issuing a stock work order, depending on how far along the house is. It may end up in court where a judge may, this is out of some of our legal books that we have to study as we go along to be a building commissioner, that the judge could rule in favor of the proponent that he's spent enough money up to this point and he possibly could up, uphold their decision or, or uphold the decision of, of what the, the owner has done up to this point simply because of financial reasons. Um, there are some rules with building permits that involve um, zoning setbacks and so forth that after a certain amount of time, if the zoning violation isn't caught, it's grandfathered. Um, one other question. If you back to staff, I think there was one building inspector. Yes? Back. Just one guy? Back when? Back when? No, right here. Please go back. There. Uh, Steve O'Neill. Correct. Is it just one person? No, it's him and I that do the brunt of the work. Steve is actually great in the field. He does a lot of the field work and inspections. He does a lot of the permit issuing, too. I mostly concentrate on um, the commercial properties and the zoning enforcement. So if he's, out, if he's out on vacation or I'm on vacation, we can both do each of our jobs. Can you or do we have the ability, let's say, uh, the proposed five buildings up off Grove Street, do you have the ability to add a person to do that? I mean, I don't know how, how many, if, if they build five buildings and they're both <coughs> four and a half stories, Five stories tall, four, I guess that's the one. Is that, I don't know how to Is that doable? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would hate that we would not, we have two guys, or say one and a half in, out in the, the world. Yeah. I wouldn't want something to, to be, go really wrong on a, on a project like that because we didn't see it. That's a great question. Massachusetts has a unique law, which is um, con construction control, which means that an architect has to oversee buildings that are that equal over 35,000 cubic feet. And in that particular instance, with large buildings like that, they have an architect that has to do visits, depending on what we request of them, which could be monthly reports, monthly visits. And at the end of the day, he has to give us an initial affidavit for that construction control. And then at the end of the job, he also has to certify that to the best of his knowledge, that job was done right. I've always been of the mindset that I want to go out there and I want to put eyes on it. So we do do field inspections, George, with, I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman, with all, <laughs> with all those types of, of large jobs. 
Um, across the street here with the buildings that are going up now, we had a situation with insulation last week that they had to come back and fix. Now, would an architect have caught that? Hopefully, but if not, we're out there putting eyes on it too. It's a lot to do with a town this large, but you know, to answer your other question about do we need someone else on larger jobs on staff, I would always say yes, it would be nice to have, but I also look at it as um, the architects do a lot of the work, and if, and if we did get in a situation like that, we would ask the proponents or the builders to pay that fee if so if it so happens someday to pay the fee of what it would cost for a third inspector on staff and of course it would have to go through the council and so forth is that applying to the electrical and plumbing i don't want richie climbing five-story building and, and he does believe me um it could yes it very well could it would i think because of our budget the way our budget is set up and the employees that we have it would have to be it would have to pass a smell test with the council and so forth and i think it would be something that um the proponent again would have to pay for so roughly how many projects per year are you overseeing we issue roughly 1700 building permits a year and we also do um, at least that much if not more with mechanical inspections the electrical the plumbing and the gas as well so it's a busy office. Well, I was going to say that there's only 365 days a year. <laughs> so you're doing more than one a day. Oh, yeah. Um, some of the mechanical inspectors are out there, um, sometimes six or seven inspections a day. And, um, it's, I can't say enough about those two, Bernie and Richie. They're, they're fantastic. And has that increased or decreased over the past say, 10 years? I'm sorry? Has that increased or decreased over the past 10 years? The capacity of? Yeah. Well, the number of projects that you have. Good, good question. Um, it was always a point that um, the former town administrator said to, to me that we are very lucky to have Bernie and Richie because of how thorough they are. They've got that institutional knowledge that I've never seen. Um, and I've been around a lot of mechanical inspectors, and Bernie and Richie are two of the best. But that's a great question. Because it's like, what's your capacity? And when do you get another? Right. At what point do you meet, meet the break, meet, uh, hit the breaking point? Sure. So, to answer this question, I think also, um, just to illustrate, you know, lockdown, May, March 2020, um, not only do we have viewpoint up and going, those two guys are using iPads, iPhones, and it's just a lesson in can-do spirit. Um, they went out with an iPhone. That, you know, I don't know their their ages. I can't really say. I'm just saying. Let's just assume they've both been to my house and they both. Did you go to school with them too, George? <laughs> so, but in all honesty, like they went out and FaceTimed inspections to be safe. Revenue still came in, people's houses still continued to get inspected, and so when you ask like more or less, right, Mike, normally you'd say, well, geez, if we're having triple the inspections, we need to hire more staff. But both of them are so like cutting edge <laughs> that like nothing stops them from doing an inspection. I think a nuclear warhead could go off and they'd still walk out and do inspections. So, 
for some reason, and I don't know how they do it. Um, it just doesn't seem to ever be more than they can handle. And I think part of that's just experience, wisdom, institutional knowledge, and just the love of what they do. To the fact that, like, I just still go back to the pandemic. Like, they were high risk by every metric. You could anything you want to talk about, they should not. And they still did them via iPhones. So I think it's just part of who they are and what they do. And yeah, I, I think if you went back to 1963, I gotta guess there were far fewer inspections back then than there are today. And yet it's still the same guy doing the same job. So I don't. Maybe we should learn how they do it. Well, I was going to say, do we have a succession plan in place? No, because they're never going to they're never going to leave, <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want them to. That's not right. <laughs> we don't want to think of that. Gus and I both hoping that happens later after our career is over. <laughs> well, you can train someone at this point. We do have alternates. And okay. They're up to the they're up to the task, but. Richie and Bernie do not want to relent any inspections. They, they're, oh no, uh, they're, as, they're as dedicated to it as you can even imagine. Time is not on their side, though. Well, like Jamie said, they probably outlive our careers, you know. <laughs> it looks that way, anyways. They look better than me. I mean. Hi, everyone. One other question. Um, example in plumbing. I had a furnace done by Conetta Plumbing, but that's another story. <laughs> and if they did, um, they used PEX, and uh, the, the process where they press the joints instead of soldering. Pro-press, yes. Pro-press. Yeah. Um, how do we make sure that you guys on the building side, and then one on the electrical and plumbing side, stay current with everything that's happening in the industry because i'm sure i because i've heard arguments at the planning board about well we don't do it that way because we never have whereas the new technology may be just as good or better drain pipes and that kind of stuff at planning sure do we have a method to stay the state mandates it um, with your um, edus and I know Richie had just gone to, to school in Norwood, I think last week, and Bernie was out the other day doing the same thing, and we have 45 hours that we have to put in a year, too. And with the energy codes and the new plumbing techniques and, the, and electrical, they're dedicated to going. Um, you know, I don't think that, I mean, you can go to a meeting and not get anything out of it. Um, depending on what's happening in your life, so to speak. But Bernie and Richie come back and they, they, they kick the can down the road and ask me what I think of what the changes are. Richie's got that code book out every morning reading it. And it doesn't have to be that he's having a problem with anything. It just means that he wants to get into the code book and just familiarize himself with it because, you know, that keeps him sharp, so to speak. And it's mandated by the state as well. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, yeah, I, I just want to make sure, I guess you're saying the state makes us stay up to date. But it, it would they be do. nice if, like, the local preferences adjust. I, I know the planning board has preferences 
I keep hearing it on drainage pipes. Well, it can be all so deep and all that stuff. Whereas the, uh, the builder will usually argue, yeah, but it works. So as long as there's some method in place to stay up to date, make sure we're up to date. Richie's institutional knowledge comes from working for Cataldo back in the day, Cataldo Plumbing. And that too. They, I'll just tell you a quick story. They um, ripped open the floor at the Piccadilly Pub when they changed it to the Japanese restaurant. And Richie had me come out because he was, I had some questions for the plumber. And he wanted to make sure that I was there to interpret it the same way he did. I, I can't even tell you what I was looking at that day. All I remember is holes everywhere on the floor, like, like um, runways. And thousands of pipe, thousands of feet of pipe in there. And Richie still has that sharpness about him when it comes to the commercial plumbing code that I can't even imagine how, how he still has it. He's just, he's just I think all of us, I sense that it isn't, we're not worried about Richie and Bernie or whatever. It's, it's five years from now or three years from now. Make sure we have a. We do. Um, Jack Giancola is my deputy on the plumbing and gas side. And um, between Jennifer Sweet and Jimmy Laughlin, those are my two alternates or my deputies on the electrical side. And they're very good, um, and some of them work for other towns as well to keep up on staying active. If they're not working in Franklin, they're at least going out doing inspections with with other towns as well. <coughs> but that's a good point, well taken, because you want to keep that that going the way we've had it going for all these years, and make sure we have someone that's very qualified. Just in terms of general, I think. Everybody's all, big thing is always like, there's more development, and there's more development, and well, all the resources, and I can't even water my lawn, even though those aren't related. But that's kind of always people's thing. What are the general guidelines between, like, for if somebody owns land, like, is there limitations on how many permits you can do for pure new builds? There is not, okay. to give you the short answer. So if people own the land, they are welcome to do with it if it's owned properly. If it's done properly, it's owned properly, um, we have no restriction on how many buildings in this condition. Is there any judgment in terms of like, we feel like this area of the town is super developed, or is is there any of that allowed in your decision making? Right now, the way the zoning reads, again, the short answer is there's no restrictions. Yeah. Um, unless you look at the zoning book and you say, well, there are restrictions because you can't, in the, in the more densely populated areas, um, the zoning is a little bit lighter where you can build closer to one another in some of the rural areas, um, the outskirts of town, so to speak. Those areas, um, the, the zoning is, is a lot more restrictive. So you can't build as many houses in those areas as you can in the more densely populated areas. Um, that, that was changed in 1960. If you look at some of the smaller lots in the rural areas of town, that wouldn't happen to it because you're more restricted with your zoning bylaws, which was done, like I said, in 1960, and it was done to, I don't want to say curb building, but give people that are in the rural areas, or give them a rural environment versus a more densely populated environment. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I 
I do care. Good. Uh, I, guess I, I, I was just curious. Well, first of all, the system works great online. I've been a beneficiary of that, and I've talked to friends in other towns, and it's gone much faster here, so I'm very pleased with that. So um, will we. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 it's been awesome. Um, uh, I guess I was just wondering, uh, something that was different about Franklin is the requirement for uh, electrician uh, in the electrical format. That's not done everywhere. I was just wondering kind of the, the rationale behind that. Sure, we have a policy that if you are going to do electrical in your home, it's done by electrician. Okay. It's a town policy. Okay, so the town made that policy. We do. Okay. Yeah. And do you ever have development that doesn't happen because of zoning issues? I mean, how how, of course. how easily or how quickly do you work things like that? I, don't. I mean, in terms of exceptions, you, you said something like 1,700 permits a year. I mean, how many of those actually do you have to do exceptions for because there's different changes that need to be made? Very little because our zoning is written so well. Okay. And we're always changing it. The director of community planning, Brian Taberner, and the town administrator, Jamie, work through those those challenges when something comes up that just doesn't seem right in the zoning book. And with that said, it's written well because of that. I don't know if that answers the question. Dude, I'll just add one more thing that um, I will always say because it's true, and if you go to other communities, you know um, our form of government allows us to make those changes on a much more frequent basis as well. So we can be much more responsive to feedback from residents, customers, businesses who want to locate here. You know, if you're in another town and you need a simple bylaw change to start doing something else, sometimes you have to wait a year get to town meeting, residents have to vote on it. Um, so we have the ability to, to change things uh, oftentimes you know, fairly quick, uh, as long as there's kind of unanimous support, right? So we don't have any middle bureaucracy you know, all the time. You go to the EDC, go to the council, go to the planning board, get recommendations, and move things forward, which really does help. Um, the climate, and to what you're talking about, Tyrell, of just like the process was a lot easier here. Um, so we don't have to hang on to the old ways of doing things just because no one can get anything through. Um, so our form of government, the council manager form of government is what most of the United States has. <laughs> Not here. Um, where we still have the traditional town meeting form in most counties. So um, just, a, just a little additive in there. A classic example of that is uh, cold chain technology. Yep. They got a TIF in what? month. Yep. They were in Holliston and they wanted to expand. So I remember Brian will probably yep. remember it better than I, but we were able to put the TIF together, get it voted by the council in I think thirty days or five weeks, something like that. And Holliston would have been five or six months. We always aim to try to continue to break our own record. <laughs> um, actually this one last summer was actually might have been even faster. Yeah, it's about the same, isn't it? The, that one went through really quick. Yeah, it was, we got lucky with the dates when the council. Twenty-one went. days, I think, is actually the fastest we did. I mean, a town. I mean, town meeting has to approve those in other towns, and we could take a year, and then they vote it down. I mean, that's not business friendly. It's just not. It's hard to build a commercial tax base like that. You know, especially I think as years go on, you know, it's harder and harder. 
because people just want instantaneous results quickly because <laughs> it's a competitive market, right? So they're looking for this type of uh, 21 days. You know? And I'm sure if they if we could have done it in 14, they would have done it. <laughs> so uh, so it's, a, it's a big part of our form of government. We're very lucky. Just one more comment. We, to point to your question, we did put a restriction on building in, I'm going to say, 1991 or two. We lost it. At 100 houses, I'm going to say. That's when we were competing with Sandwich as the fastest growing, fastest building Phoenix. town in the state. And then somebody, the brilliant idea was to we'll, we'll allow 100, I think it was 100 permits a year, right? It was and still then, in place when I got hired. It was. I think somebody sued us or something. We lost. Well, it had slowed down to the point where it wasn't effective anymore either. And there was an impact fee at one point. Yeah, that's right. Which, okay. it, it, the, the, the cat was already out of the bag at that time. Anybody else? Just on the Natalie's comment, and I don't know if it's maybe at the town level question. So when we think about, we don't have a cap on the amount of permits we issue. And then to your point, we hear a lot well, there's more people then, it puts a strain on police, it puts a strain on fire, like as we grow. How at the town level do we balance, I mean, ideally, right, you're building more, you're getting more tax revenue, so you can hire more police officers in a very simplistic, but do we see that? Like, do we see that we are growing, we, we are putting up these big complexes? I think we're hearing it puts a strain on in certain areas, but how do we balance that? Or, how do the departments work together to balance that? It, it, that makes sense. It's a great balance to, to do what we do. It's one of the better run towns in the Commonwealth. Um, you know, I can show all the reasons why that, that we, we operate the, the way we do. I think it's a little bit above my level to talk about that, though. But the best way I can probably answer your question is um, it works. And it really does. I mean, you've got some great people in place here. You all are committed to what you do. Everybody in the back here is the same, the same way, like from the council all the way down to the janitors. It's a great place to work. We used to say, make sure you don't, how we used to put it, make sure you, this is the last job. I guess the way we put it, this is the last job we've ever have. And after 25 years, I'm a I'm a example of that. I mean, it's just it's just great. I'm sure Jamie wants to make a comment too on that because I don't know that I should get into that. Richie did that. Yeah, he's the last. It's tough to answer, Nicole. I mean, I, I I think the feeling people have. So first of all, the town lost population a year ago, and nobody believes that, but it's a statistical fact, right? Um, and I understand why nobody believes it. They see the building across the street, they drive around, the traffic's bad. I've never in my 47 years in Massachusetts ever expected traffic to be great. I don't know where that expectation comes from. I don't know who thinks that it's solvable. It will never be solved. Um, so I think some of it's just emotional reaction. I think a lot of it is just, you know, my opinion. I'm on Facebook, I'm yelling, everything seems dark, whatever's going on. But in terms of the money, uh, Brian can speak to this too, and, and I think some of the other staff. We've seen a lot of cities and towns do studies on the cost of development. And, and I've read a lot of them, I've hired them in different towns, 
and we always hear the proverbial stats of, well, it, $15,000 or $16,000 a year it costs to educate a child, right? And the person pays $6,000 in tax revenue. Well, that's gotta be a problem, right? The math doesn't add up, syntax error. And I just, I don't know how to really fully explain it other than it's just not apples to apples like that, you know? Um, I will say local receipts and the revenue in our budget are generally largely created by this group here. Uh, the fire chief has a big role in that as well, the recreation director. Um, and local receipts, as you'll see in the budget coming up this year, traditionally a lot of that money goes to pay for the service of the people to do the work. You know, Julie in my office with liquor licenses, all that type of stuff. So the local receipts formula kind of pays for itself, if you will. Um, and then it gets really into the tax levy. You know, and I think, as you all know, new growth is a factor uh, of revenue. The tax levy can only go up 2.5%. Um, I've read a lot of reports, a lot of taxpayer foundations, all these groups that try to put out these numbers. And I just don't ever think it's like, unless you're paying for a service from one of these departments, oh, I'm paying for my fee, my building permit, uh, my occupancy permit, my food inspectional permit, those are costs for service, right? It's $100 to do this. Ginny goes out, inspects it, you know, breaks kind of even for the cost of service. But beyond that, um, you know, I think there is a lot of rhetoric that goes around the cold, just like, oh, we're growing, the population's going up, how does this not pay for things? Um, you know, it really is an imperfect science. And, and I've, I shouldn't say this and I shouldn't give up, but I've read so many of these studies, I just come out on the other end going, why are we doing one of the benefits of Franklin that we do do differently than every other town, which is what Gus says about management, all revenue goes to the general fund. If you go to a lot of other communities, the recreation department is elected and they keep their own money and they hire and fire their own staff. The town manager doesn't get to have any say in that. And you get like a lot of little rogue committees kind of running off doing their own things, hogging money. Um, Building commissioners in a lot of other communities, they try to keep all the money for their own staff somehow, right? And one of the things Jeff did really, really well for this town, it's probably one of the top 10 things he ever set the course with, was it's not the building commissioner's money or Kathy Liberty's money or Brian's money, it's the town of Franklin's money, right? And there are a couple minor exceptions to those things, like school fees. But having all those revenues come in, having surplus property come into the general fund, all of it is there to support everybody. So that's why you get a budget every year that kind of shows the revenue pie and the expenditures. We don't have to break things up into 50 stabilization accounts, revolving <coughs> funds, or this. It all goes into the same pie, and we all work collaboratively to expense it. So didn't answer your question, but No, you directly, did. I think it's important I, that people, because there is a lot of that out there, whether it's and it's not necessarily apples to apples, so I think it's good for people to hear the explanation and reaffirmation that it's not just the big building's going up, so all of a sudden, you know, we don't have enough firefighters. It's certainly not right. that, and it's bigger, bigger than that. So but to that, important. but to that point, but you are right. Like, you know, there's different phases, right? So a housing development comes on and may permit, say, 30 homes. They don't build all 30 homes like monopoly homes. It takes 10 years. So at different stages in the process, revenues come in to pay for those inspectional services or whatever. Some of it's new growth, and then some of it just becomes the property value the next year. So it's a very long, I mean, Kevin, the assessor, should be here too to talk about this stuff, but it's a, when the revenue comes in, 
comes in at different points during a development. And so what we try to do, and you'll see this in the budget this year, fire, for example, paramedic calls are through the roof. They're gonna break not only their mutual aid calls this year, but their total call volume. So you're likely to see in the budget proposal additional paramedics to, to meet that. So we, to Gus's point, it's then incumbent upon all of us to evaluate all those competing priorities for where the demand is, where people are saying, geez, we're calling the ambulance a lot. We gotta hire more people to do that, right? Um, fortunately, we don't have to hire Bernie and Richie um, because they just seem to do it all themselves, but those are rare circumstances where we wouldn't necessarily grow um, with uh, more people and more building. Thank you. Okay. And I thought it was going to be a short meeting. <laughs> um, shall we? Are you set now, sir? I'm good. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. You. Nice. My pleasure. We'll see you next year. Same time. <laughs> I look forward. The next guest. Brian Berner, the uh, Director of Planning and Community Development. I'm here with the uh, Franklin's Town Planner, Amy Love, and the Conservation Agent and Natural Resource uh, Protection Manager. It's a long title, I'm sorry. Brinkley, good morning. I'm going to do an intro. Uh, I'm going to hand it off to Brinkley, who's going to hand it off to Amy, and then come back to me. Um, the reason I would, we do have several different agencies that we provide support to, and I just wanted to try to touch base on each without getting into uh, a long, long discussion, but be happy to take questions after. So our department is myself, Amy Bricolai. Uh Maxine Kintar, Kinnard is our executive assistant uh, to me. Uh, she does a lot more than that. Uh, she actually provides the uh, technical administrative support to the uh, Municipal Housing Trust and the Design Review uh, Commission, among other things. Tyler Pat Pazlowski, I'm going to claim him back from Gus. <laughs> um, he's been there before. <laughs> yeah, he works uh, for, in the morning, he does uh, do a lot uh, at the counter and, and taking, helping out uh, other departments. But, Primarily, he is dealing with uh, planning, community development, uh, conservation, commission, board of health, and other. And uh, other also in my department is our passport acceptance agent, whose office is down uh, in, in next to the uh, downstairs lobby. Um, she actually uh, she's great. She uh, works part time. They're open uh, three days a week, um, and you'd have to call to make appointments if you wanted to. Uh, uh, process uh, passports through that office, and they also do a passport photos also. So, uh, the department's mission is to plan and implement uh, comprehensive policy initiatives that work to fulfill the community development land use related goals of the town and its residents. Uh, there are three different areas, primary areas that we work in. Administrative technical assistance to town boards, commissions, and committees, which is uh, easily 60% um, or more of what we do. Um, actually, more than that, probably. Comprehensive planning and zoning bylaw amendments and planning and implementation of community development and economic development projects. Those are the three categories that we work in primarily. Um, 
as far as uh, providing support to boards, commissions, and, and uh, committees, we do the Planning Board, Conservation Commission, Design Review Commission, Municipal Affordable Housing Trust, Cultural District Committee. Uh, Amy heads the Technical Staff Review Committee, which is an internal staff review uh, committee. And we provide support to others as needed. Jamie, uh, Jamie our town administrator, the Town Council uh, Economic Development Subcommittee and ad hoc committees, including Master Plan Committee, Open Space and Recreation Committee, and the Hazard Mitigation Plan Committee. Um, the first three that were in that list were the Planning Board, Design Review Commission, and Conservation Commission. And they, at least 55% of our time staff goes into uh, managing issues related to those three groups. Um, I, so I'm giving you ba the basics of what we do for each of those groups, although they're not exact in each case. But uh, we coordinate all the applications submitted. We have a public hearing notices, a butter notification, public meeting management, uh, similar to what you're, somebody's doing for you here. Uh, you know, in person, what we handle over Zoom, uh, the application and plan distribution, plan review, site visit coordination the meeting minutes, the agendas, communications, customer service, all of that. Uh, and we also deal with third-party peer review consultants uh, that uh, are used by mostly the Planning Board and the Conservation Commission. Uh, and we also have a third-party construction inspection consultant who goes out on site when a project is being constructed to make sure it's constructed the way a plan the Planning Board has approved the site. Um, I'm going to hand this off to Brick Eli. We'll talk about the Conservation Commission. Hi, everybody. So, as Brian mentioned, I am Brick Eli Goodlander. I'm the Conservation Agent and National Resource Protection Manager for the town. For the town, I'm actually relatively new as of last year. I'm a previous um, well inside consultant. Um, so, the Conservation Commission is unique for. Um, the town and other boards as we actually don't answer to town council as our main authority we answer to mass dp under the wetlands protection act um, so we are the administrative body and regulatory authority for projects that occur in town within um, state jurisdiction for natural resources and then Additionally, um, we operate under a local bylaw um, and associated regulations, which has been approved by town council. Um, by statute, by state statute, those local bylaws and regulations are more stringent than what the state um, has. So, for a permit for commission uh, for the conservation commission for any work occurring within jurisdiction, whether that be adjacent to wetlands, adjacent a river in floodplain, or actually within those resources, um, applicants, whether that be a homeowner or a developer, has to file with conservation, um, and then the conservation commission hears the proposal, you know, votes on the project, and yes. Do you know what percentage of the town is covered under wetlands? That's a really good question and something I tried to look up a few weeks ago. Um, just as a fun fact, I can tell you Franklin is quite wet. It is a major floodplain to the Charles River, so there is very little in Franklin that I do not have my hands in, um, so or is not coming to me. You could say 100% of the town falls under you. No. 
No one tell Jamie that. <laughs> no, but I can I can tell you uh, here's here's a good dad joke, Jamie. That a lot of the marginal land left over in Franklin is actually marginal. Uh, yeah. She's been dropping those recently. I, yeah. <laughs> It's great. Oh yeah. Oh, they're so funny. So, um, <laughs> so, not to bog you down too much. Oh, that was, oh, that was, that was the winner the other day. That was his favorite. I think that was mine, actually. Now that I think about it. She's in the slide. So, this slide um, highlights all of the statutes and regulations that the Conservation Commission has authority under and what I operate under as well. Um, so I act as a liaison for the Conservation Commission to the town, act as a guiding force for anybody coming with a project. I help people identify their proper permitting pathway and um, translate all of uh, state regulations. Um, that's fine. Um, so we actually also have some projects going on in the Conservation Department and Commission. The biggest one, the most long-standing one, I think, is the Delcar Conservation Area, where the Conservation Commission has been overseeing treatment of invasive species since 2016. Um, most recently, the Delcar Conservation Area has had a forest um, management plan that was approved by DCR. So that's very exciting. That opens the door to more grants, um, boundary markers, trail maintenance, things of that nature. And then, I guess I shouldn't say most recently, or the biggest, but the biggest plan for the town is the open space and recreation plan um, update. And that we are currently in that process and the Conservation Commission is acting as the open space and recreation committee. Um, so maybe you've heard of it. Please feel free to attend. Amy? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm Amy Love, uh, the town planner with the town. Um, I do a lot of support for the planning board. Um, it's five elected members and there's one associate member. Um, so we, the planning board, um, is responsible for the subdivision control laws, all the local subdivision rules and regulations. Um, the permitting authority for various site plans and special permits as well. Um, they adopt new subdivision regulations um, and they do make recommendations to town council on bylaw amendments and street acceptances. Um, Franklin Board, um, the planning board accepts uh, several types of different applications, one being the site plan approval. Um, so any new or modification to buildings over 600 square feet comes in front of the planning board. Special permits, which are typically a use permit, um, planning board's also the um, authority approving those. And then subdivisions there, um, people come for any new subdivisions that come into town. And then there is the approval not required, the ANR plan which is basically dividing property that does not require a subdivision review. Some projects um, more recently, or this one's almost completed, um, there was a, the last lot um, up in Franklin Industrial Park at 105 Constitution Boulevard. Um, they, I believe they constructed about a 50,000 square foot grow facility for marijuana up at that site. So we move on to design review. Um, design Review Commission is an appointed board. 
um, with several members. Their responsibility is basically for design recommendation input to the planning board on site plans, so landscaping, lighting, building plans, has to exterior design, colors, and materials. Um, the purpose is to promote the safe, functional, and attractive development of business and commercials to preserve and enhance the new land character of the town's commercial centers and thoroughfares. Um, they, as you can see, they try to make sure the buildings um, fit in, the colors of the buildings um, fit in with their surroundings as well um, to protect and preserve the unique and cultural features within the town. Additionally, they also um, are the recommending board, recommended commission for signs. So any new or sign replacement um, within all the commercial districts, they need to come in front of the Design Review Commission um, with an example of their signs for, to get a recommendation to the planning board or that would even be to the building department to get their building um, permit to put up the new sign. Back to Brian. Thank you very much. Um, we deal with, uh, on a regular basis, uh, comprehensive planning. So we're responsible for the, the traditional land use related activities, uh, the town's plans, and uh, creating zoning bylaws and amendments. The four plans that we do on a rotating basis are master plan, open space recreation plan, as a mitigation plan, and the housing production plan. Um, the hazard mitigation plan, I wanted to touch on that. Uh, it was approved, uh, the last one, update, in, uh, we worked on it for a couple of years. Uh, every five years, we're supposed to be updating it, so it's almost like you, you update it and you start over again. Um, it was approved by FEMA in January 2021, so we'll be needing to work on it again by 2024. The, uh, the goals of that plan are integrated into other plans, for instance, the master plan and the open space plan and things of that nature. Um, we did a, I wanted to talk really quickly on uh, municipal vulnerability preparedness. We did a workshop a few years ago, um, and that was focused on identifying risks for from climate change and developing resilient strategies. Uh, we worked with Bellingham two communities together had a workshop, uh, which is input from that actually goes into the hazard mitigation plan. So, uh, some zoning bylaws that we're working on right now, inclusionary zoning and one on uh, housing density, we're working on that right now. And we have a couple of zoning bylaw changes um, that better define the zoning districts by following parcel lines, as opposed to go having a, a several parcels within multiple zoning districts. We like to try to get them all into one district. Uh, those are just examples. We on, ongoing, uh, as as Gus mentioned, that as changes are needed, when we identify something that needs to be changed, uh, it's the process is fairly quickly uh, implemented and, and completed. So the master plan uh, was developed, it was completed in 2013. And I won't bore you too much, but there are um, all those different things listed there are called elements or sections of the master plan, land use, open space recreation, whatever. Uh, it has a goals and policies uh, section to start off with. 
it kind of sets the tone on what the town wants to see in the future. And then at the end is an implementation plan. And that's uh, a summary of the goals, objectives, and proposed actions taken from the other elements. The master uh, plan update committee, uh, every time we need go to update one, we create that. The town council recently voted to establish the committee and we'll be working on that in the coming months. So this is just a few think of bullets on community and economic development related uh, projects we've worked on, business recruitment and expansion, um, tax increment financing was mentioned. Um, cultural economic development is an issue that we started working on probably 10 years ago now. Uh, downtown revitalization for the last 20 years has been a priority of the town. Uh, and it's come a long way if you were here 20 years ago. I wasn't, but I've been here 15 years and there's been huge improvements uh, in that time in the downtown area. Uh, part of that was, uh, more recently we did a foundational market analysis and a market position summary so we could you know, know where the, uh, we want to go, what uh, the type of, uh, uh, type of development we want to attract in the downtown and, and surrounding areas. Uh, last year we did a Franklin for All zoning assessment, which were the recommendations for that are work being worked on right now, uh, some of them anyway. Uh, and uh, we also work on uh, brownfield cleanup redevelopment projects. Um, so there's a picture of one of the festivals that happened a couple of years ago. I want to note that uh, my, the Department of Planning Community Development Director it has a, a permanent uh, spot on the downtown partnership, Franklin Downtown Partnership Board. So I'm a board member. Uh, whoever takes my place will be a board member and it has a good uh, tie to the that organization, uh, which was created to revitalize downtown. That's the reason for it. Um, so Cultural District um, was created several years back and there is a cultural district committee that we st provide staff support and technical assistance to. Uh, Pandora, Carlucci, and Roberta Trahan are co-chairs right now. Uh, by the way, we have a couple of vacant positions if anybody's interested. Um, that group uh, provides oversight and management of the Franklin Cultural District. They ensure the town meets the requirements of the cultural district to continue to have the status of a cultural district. Um, we work to implement the specific goals of our cultural district, which need to line up with the state-sponsored cultural district goals. And I'm gonna just stand them out because I think they're very important to, to, to note. Um, attract artists and cultural enterprise, escape, uh, encourage business and job development, establish the district as a tourist destination, preserve and reuse historic buildings, enhance property values and foster local cultural development. They have their hands full um, and there are other organizations, even town organizations working in cultural uh, issues. The Cultural District Committee works on the Franklin Cultural District area only. That's their focus area in what they're trying to do. This is just the project that never goes away, but I'd just show a slide on it. Um, the former New Style property in Grove Street. Um, the town took two properties as tax titles a long time ago. Back in 1970, before we were stuck with the property, that's what it looked like. It was a, it was a, a, a manufacturing complex, essentially, of several different properties. 
we ended up taking two of them and the others uh, were stayed in the hands of the family that owned the property. Um, we, the big building on the bottom there on the, on the right side, that the main mill has been demolished. The town did that in 2012. Uh, in the back of that is a small building in white that um, is, has totally collapsed in on itself. Uh, and it is a, uh, it's a, it needs to be cleaned up. So the town, what we need to do right now is demolish the building, do some environmental assessment work, and some site remediation. Uh, we have some uh, money to restart the process right now. We've applied for a half million dollars from the EPA. We don't know if we'll get it, but either way, we'll continue pursuing funding uh, to get that place cleaned up finally. So. That's the end of the, the, our presentation, and uh, I know it's a lot there. I, I, I actually was, I told uh, the uh, DPW director that I would cut out a few slides to streamline so we can get to them guys in the quicker. Um, he, so, <laughs> he doesn't show up, yeah, but that's all right. But he did, send, he, did, he did send his people. <laughs> but uh, any questions? I have a question on that last slide. Yeah. So what, how do you determine like what you're going to do with it? Well, number one, uh, it has to be cleaned up. Yeah. Right. After the fact, I don't care what happens to it. It can be redeveloped somehow. We actually, I, I, I've been playing with concepts and using our property as access to backlands to develop a commercial or industrial type of development. Um, there's a lot of things that uh, can be done with it, but unless you clean it, nobody's going to want it. Um, we could put a half million dollars into it right now and then not be able to sell it for a thousand. Okay, so really um, the ideal situation have somebody else do the cleanup and give them the property. We tried that a few years ago and it was, um, we had agreements and it fell through because they did not start the cleanup and, and so it ended up back in our hands. Um, so that's why one of the reasons it takes so long to do this is it, it the funding isn't just sitting around like that unless the town wants to spend an awful lot of money and then sell it for nothing, uh, which some cities actually do. I mean, uh, I, you know, to redevelop uh, in the center of, of Worcester, they spent millions to, to demolish buildings, clean up environmental sites and everything, and then they sold it to, at the time, I think it was Fallon who built a, uh, a hospital there, and they sold it for very little money because they wanted redevelopment. Um, because that area there is so small, <laughs> and not that many people are gonna spend money, a lot of money on it. Uh, so it's, uh, it's an ongoing issue. Hopefully we'll clean this up without costing the town a lot of money on that. So. Makes sense, thank you. Yep. Well, I have a list. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me go back to all of them. Who is the town technical committee? The technical review committee yeah. are, are town are people from each department. Uh, the three people sitting here, Jamie, Gus, Kathy. Is, that's about two thirds of the committee actually. The town attorney is also there and yeah. the fire chief. The fire chief, yeah. And town engineer. Town engineer. Oh we yeah, how can you forget Mike? Yeah, Mike. So we, we look at uh, developments that are before the town. Well, if somebody, today somebody came in and talked about you know, that maybe they want to do something on their property and you, you, tell, you talk to them about it, talk about the zoning issues and, 
any restrictions that they may have in front of them and things of that nature. We don't have any authority to tell them, yes, go do something. Uh, but we're, it, when somebody comes in, it's for, really for advice. We also take that time to talk about zoning amendments and problems with uh, different uh, properties in town, things of that nature. So, so this would be the place where if they needed the zoning change to get an acceptable no. opinion, it would stop that? No. It, it really is born out of the idea that it's really a customer service committee. And really what it's designed to do is before uh, a resident or a builder actually files an application, they have the option, and Amy coordinates all this, we give them the choice if they want to come in and meet with the tech review team before they file, they can, so that we can give them information or answer questions before they file. So in the case of planning board and conservation, our recommendation to everybody is to file concurrently, right? Unless there's a really rare exception. It helps the process go a lot smoother for everyone. And so, I don't know, I mean, I'm guessing like 90, you know, 80, 80 or 90% of the prospective applicants take us up on that offer because they're usually gonna find out a few things from Gus or Kathy uh, about inspections or something or Bricoli or anybody. They're just gonna find out about, hey, what should we consider when we apply? Oh, you have an extra, like Bricoli was pointing out before, oh, your, your, your conservation wetlands bylaw is more stronger than the state. Some people don't read the bylaws before they do their plans. We get them so that they don't file, go to the Conservation Commission, right? Yeah. Then realize they've screwed up. Then they've got to go back a month or two, reform everything, refile it. And now the planning board's gone way ahead. The Conservation Commission's behind. And so it really helps the permitting process um, go a lot smoother. So George, it's really more of a customer service offering to anybody. Um, we do also have, because we're all there, um, we oftentimes talk about um, enforcement issues that Gus may have with the <coughs> town attorney or Rico Lai or something like that. So we go through other situational football throughout the community. Um, and we might talk about, like, we're going forward with an ADU proposal. Um, you know, because we're already all there, we talk about that stuff as well. But it's not really the place where zoning starts, per se. Um, beta groups. Which plan board uses all the time? Who pays that bill? The applicant does. Is it? Is it? 100% paid by the applicant, but they are contracted through the town. So the applicant actually pays the town, and then we process the invoices to pay beta. Is it? Uh, I thought they changed. Didn't somebody else do it a while back? They changed. The, the representative, Matt, yeah, left, Matt. and somebody else came in. Yeah, so the staff member changed, right? I'm just curious. Yeah, Matt came Matt. back. Matt. But we, we. Matt came back. Matt, Matt's doing the field work, and then we have a representative doing the peer reviews uh, for the applicants. Who appoints the Conservation Commission? Council? Uh, I nominate them, and the council ratifies them. So it is. I thought she mentioned something about it wasn't local control. Uh, but maybe I'm sure. All of our permits stands one small permit that is kept at a local level to make things easier for residents are state permits. So we take in the state permit and we file, we, we ferry that off to MassDEP. So even we are still held to 
these state regulations and state statutes. That's who we answer to. So, for example, myself as a conservation agent, I'm in constant contact with the chief, de chief deputy for Central Region, region Mass DEP, Wetlands and Waterways. So they still, they do their own site visits of projects. We do site visits together. We look at projects, we delineate. Um, so it's a joint effort. Is there an appeal process? For DEP, yes. So if the Conservation Commission makes a determination for a permit application where they believe that the it's usually when they say no, nobody appeals when they say yes, really. <laughs> um, not developers, anyways. Could a neighbor um, appeal when you say yes? Could a neighbor appeal? Yes, there is a 21-day appeal period for any decision made by the Conservation Commission, whether it's a negative determination, which means it's actually a permit approval. So a negative determination meaning there is no adverse impact to um, water resources or a positive determination. Um, but for a developer wanting to appeal a positive determination by the Conservation Commission, they would then have to go to DEP, and then there's an appeal process through that. In the planning board, there was a site plan required for 600 square feet. That's this half of this road. So the six hundred just seems. I think if I counted the tiles right, it's from the <laughs> six hundred feet. That to me sound and you require a site plan or a limited site plan. So I mean, it, site plans don't cheap. So I'm so, just wondering. So from six hundred square feet, that that's what triggers a site plan. Up to five thousand square feet is your limited site plan. So the limited site plans don't require a public hearing, they don't require um, the, a butter notification, um, and they most of the time don't even require a beta review. Most of the time between myself and the town engineer, we review those limited site plans. So your full site plan starts at 5,000 plus square feet. It just seems really mm -hmm. small. Mm -hmm. I mean, my house is 2,100 feet. Really? Okay. Um, Can I clarify one thing? If somebody were to build a house, single family or duplex, that, that does not apply to this no. at all. So this is usually if it's a multifamily housing development or it is a commercial or industrial property. Okay, yes. so the smaller residential developments do not go through this process. So it doesn't apply to everybody. I mean, if, um, take, let's take the absurd. Somebody wants to attach a building to uh, going back where the old Morse Theater was downtown, right to the left where Hank Ty is, okay? And it's 500 square feet. Does that require cycling? It's, I think it would be, it would be, it, it would, yeah, it would be borderline and it would be uh, the zoning enforcement officer's call on whether it is or not. Uh, just to kind of clarify, it just seemed like an awfully small space. Then I have a, Crazy question. Yeah, we come up, downtown we're looking for parking, housing, I think, with the MBTAs and stuff. Have we ever looked at air rights over the tracks? It's a lot of space tied up I, over those tracks. I, I, yes, obviously. 
the cost the cost of doing it and the permitting through the MBTA and all of that is it could be nightmarish. I'm not saying it can't be done, but um, I'll let that I'll let Jamie take that one if you want. But in, in reality, there have been some proposals um, to redevelop and even take some of the, the towns they've a lot and MBTA a lot, build over it, do all. There have been a lot of things that have been proposed over the years, but nothing uh, has happened. It just seems like the long if you wanted to do parking, think of there is the that. MBTA cannot even fix its own parking lot and make it ADA accessible for anybody. The idea that possibly they would even be thinking of air rights would shock me. Um, I don't have any doubt that further in the future that issue will come up among all the train lines. I think one I can think of is in Newton over the pike, um, which dealt with the former uh, Mass Turnpike Authority, which is now just Mass Dot. So that one got cleared up in Newton, Watertown area. There's a couple there that go over the, you know, everybody drives them and stop at Shaw's or whatever, the Star Market or something. Um, I don't think we're at air rights yet. And I'm not sure we really need parking. <laughs> There's a lot of it um, all over the place. So I think when we become a bustling uh, urban mecca, and the T gets its bleep together. Maybe someday we'll talk about air rights. But uh, the first step is to get them to even there you go. You plant the seed. <laughs> but I will say, I will say one last thing, uh, Mr. Chairman. People do ask me, and I think Brian and everybody often, what about the island? That's where I thought maybe this was going. The actual underneath the island. When people say to me, why can't we do more on the island well, up top? On, on the bridge. On the bridge. The reason is because the MBTA does own the structural uh, pieces underneath the island. And um, and so you just can't go, there's a weight limit to that. And we would need to work with the T to rebuild a bridge, um, which just feels like it's generations out. <laughs> I, mean, but I, I can't. But that any, one's tricky because we, what people- What build on an island? People, no, people, no, we did a pocket park. We did a pocket design. We, the DPW did a great job. There was benches in there. Um, and there was a lot of opposition to it. We were going to put flowering plantings. The police had approved it because of the site distance when you're coming around the area around Bamboo House. Um, and for some reason, um, there was a lot of opposition, so we didn't do it. So there's some minor things we could do to improve the island to make it a little more uh, friendlier. And if people think that's a good idea, uh, I'm happy. We'd love to thank you, Melanie. I appreciate that. Brief a lot. Let's just draw up the grassroots right now. But people do ask about the bridge all the time. and the. The T owns the bridge as well, unfortunately. One more crazy question. Um, going back to design review and signs. I think we're the only town in this area that doesn't allow a local business to use an electronic sign. Example, when the previous owners here of the where I am of the alumni, they want to do an electronic sign. Just put up a menu, and I can understand why we don't allow ones that have all kinds of crazy graphics and running and all that stuff. But a basic sign. I know you can get it through the ZBA. Black box do. Right? They have a sign. Is there a reason it's not in that that we restrict it so much? I mean, we want those kinds of businesses, but we make it difficult for them. The high school has one. I don't know how that got. That's always <laughs> thought I wondered about that one. But 
is there a reason we have not done it, or just is there something we address the Address the high school first. The uh, zoning bylaw does not apply to government property, so that's one of the reasons, right? Well, all right, okay. that'll bring up my. <laughs> <laughs> We just bought a sign board for the police department, or approved a sign board for the Capitol. If the guy up the street, George's Oil, is it, that puts his signs on a trailer, because I think that's legal, right? He doesn't have, they're on a, on a two-wheel trailer up there, right across from Magnolia Heights. Could he use what the police department's using? If it's legal for the police, isn't it? Because they don't that's put on property. Huh? I think the, he's the he's the referee on sign. The zoning enforcement officer is Gus Brown, and I'm sure he'd <laughs> love to talk about that. I don't know which one to answer first, Mr. Chairman. Just, just general, please. It's all right. For I, you know, to be honest with you, I think we just haven't caught up yet with technology. I think that the design review commission has um, initially thought about rewriting the bylaws with the help of Brian as well. I know that they want to meet with us. Uh, we haven't done that yet, but I think the times are changing. So it's very possible in our lifetimes we're going to see that happen. And um, Maybe yours, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if that answers all the questions, but... No, I just wanted to make the point that I... Yeah. I, you know, it, we've been very proactive with how we regulate signs, more so than a lot of towns. Um, um, there's an opinion that some of the signs make the town look less attractive. Honky tonk. There's and a famous song about this issue. <laughs> sing it. Yes. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I guitar, I do it, but I, you don't want to hear me sing right now. I, but I think there's a famous song, we all know the words. And I think it actually summarizes the issue. It's a local, we could change the bylaws to allow a lot of things, and we will get complaints about it. People will hate them, people will like them, businesses may benefit from them, they may not. Our community priority and aesthetic. Anybody else? Okay, we'll be asked. Yeah, one more. What the hell? Oh, yeah. the so George, get ready all your list of restaurant questions. Okay. No, I That's good. That's a good feeling. Okay. So good evening to Mr. Chair and the rest of the finance committee members. Uh, I'm Kathleen Liberty. I am the director of public health for the town. Um, I have a three-member uh, three member elected board. Um, very interesting about board members. There are 351 towns and cities in the state of Massachusetts, and all of them have a board of health. Um, it all depends on, it could be uh, appointed, elected, it could be seven, five, three members. Um, so here in um, Franklin, we have an election uh, every two years. And um, they're a policy-making board, very powerful board. I also have a great staff, Jenny McNeil, our health agent, Alicia Deptula, our public health nurse, going on year two here. Casilla Monterio, she's our epidemiologist. John Robertson is our regional inspector. 
and we have an administrative assistant uh, position. I'd like to just have this a minute and 53 second video played, but I'm not seeing the I'm not, no, wait. Where's the boot? Oh no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Is this it? Uh, Going to the next slide, I just want to bring up that the mission of the Board of Health is to protect the public's health. Um, as you must have seen during the, our pandemic, um, the health department and boards of health were referred to um, almost constantly by the um, our uh, Baker administration. So um, we definitely were here to protect the public's health during the COVID pandemic. Um, but tonight, we were asked to uh, discuss our core functions. Um, and so I am just going to read my paper because it's hard for me to see up there. But um, the health department, we enforce the state sanitary code, and that what falls under that is housing, recreational camps for children, um, public, semi-public swimming pools, bathing beaches, uh, retail food establishments, and lead poisoning prevention. And just just to explain a little bit, um, housing and if an occupant uh, tenant is um, having some code violations they will call us we'll actually go out and do an inspection recreational camps come around once a year for children as a rule uh, we usually have 11 to 12 um, recreational camps that we have to inspect and make sure that permit them to open uh, same with public and semi-public swimming pools um, those uh, we could have indoor outdoor um, public semi-public swimming pools that we have to um, we have to do our inspections and check the chemicals etc bathing beaches uh, right after memorial day we start testing the water at the bathing beach which is beaver pond and that goes on until 
at Labor Day, we um, end our, um, our testing. And then, of course, we do biannual uh, food establishment inspections throughout the year um, and lead poisoning prevention when we're asked to do an inspection of a home that's um, 1970, uh, yeah, 1976 or has a child six years or under living in there. Um, I personally am a lead uh, inspector uh, licensed by the um, Department of Public Health. We also, again, enforce the food protection law and regulation, which speaks to the good manufacturing practices for food, and that's when we go out and we do our you know, uh, constant food inspections throughout the, the town. Um, we also enforce the environmental protection, hazardous and solid waste, septage and garbage and air pollution, and also enforcement of miscellaneous regulations, since uh, use of traps um, where beavers are concerned, uh, tobacco, um, tanning salons, and public sanitary stations. We also, um, we started using Viewpoint two years ago. Um, it's a great permitting process for the camps, the swim, swimming pools, our food establishments, septage and garbage, um, again, use of traps, funeral directors, tanning, tobacco, mobile food trucks. And then, of course, uh, you know, our, one of the biggest things that we do is uh, we um, prevent dangerous diseases such as TB, hepatitis A, B, and C, salmonella, um, and the list goes on and on, norovirus and COVID-19. Um, so that's some of our core functions. Does anyone have any questions about our core functions before I move on to our key initiatives? Do you get many complaints from the public? Um, not too many. Um, we get some, lately we've been getting a lot of housing complaints due to the, the cold snap and we had some um, pipes breaking, things like that. Um, and a few for restaurants, but not too many. So um, our key initiatives this year, um, kind of excited to share, we've been doing a lot. Um, and I think one of the most rewarding is um, we, we partnered with um, the DPW uh, facilities and the school uh, food manager and we implemented a food waste diversion program at our um, Sullivan Middle School and it's actually um, doing wonderful made the news and um, so we're, we're very proud of that um, about a year ago we created uh, the habitable housing task force and so that's also um, includes a neighborhood renewal program that the Attorney General's office uh, had implemented and what that means is um, when we find an abandoned home um, we do an inspection we bring out fire police um, building department um, and we all do uh, an inspection. We all send our order letters along with the Attorney General's office, and we get a move, a move on some of the homes that are, are abandoned and, and falling apart. Um, so that's been very successful as well. Uh, we held a fall health fair, um, which was amazing. We had over 400 participants, um, and we had over 30 vendors. So it was a wonderful afternoon. That was at the library. Um, so we also provide community outreach. Um, so I do a public health podcast with uh, Steve Sherlock. Um, we do that on a semi-regular basis. And um, with the help of Steve, we also do a public health podcast with interviewing someone else. We've done music therapy and domestic violence. 
uh, the Safe Coalition, the Food Pantry. Um, we've all done some great podcasts. Um, and so those are on uh, our website. So feel free to pop in and listen. Uh, so we also implement a food establishment hosting inspectional software, which is wonderful for us because before we used to just write our inspection reports and now we can do them on a laptop or a uh, iPad. Um, it helps with inspection time. It decreases our time that we're out in the field and it's a lot more professional and efficient way to do our inspections. Um, our epidemiologist has created a healthcare resource and services map that's located on our website. Um, it's a great tool for the community. We continue to highlight the COVID-19 cases dashboard. I think now it's more looking at what was and what is. Um, we also can look at the um, cases per age. And so we're still seeing the highest cases are the ages 50 to 64. And beneath that is 30 years to 49 years old. Um, cases per month in January 22, we had 1,751 cases. January 23, 141. Uh, of course, a lot of those cases aren't um, reported because of the self-testing kits, um, but still, that's quite a uh, quite a range. Um, so, with our public health nurse, uh, her involvement with the health department, we were able to enroll in the DPH vaccine for children program, and we received free um, flu vaccines for children, um, well, youth 18 and under who are underinsured or have no insurance. Um, so this is wonderful, um, and with that, we held multiple vaccine clinics for COVID-19 booster vaccine and the flu vaccine. Um, the, all the clinics were held at the senior center, um, and for the COVID-19 boosters, we actually vaccinated 654 children ages 5 to 12, and for our flu, we, um, we vaccinated approximately 70 people. So the public health nurse, uh, she holds bi-weekly blood pressure clinics, glucose monitoring at the Central Park Terrace. We've also partnered with the food pantry for the mobile truck to go to the Central Park Terrace monthly to provide um, protein and shelf-stable shelf food. Um, she also participates in the Student Health and Wellness Advisory Council. She holds multiple trainings such as Stop the Bleed, First Aid, Medical Emergencies, and Communicable Disease and CPR for municipal staff and for seniors and for any residents that want to sign up. She does weekly home visits, medication management, blood pressure and glucose monitoring as well. Um, and she also, what I forgot to put up here, one of her biggest jobs is to monitor communicable diseases. And take for instance, if we have a, um, a TB, um, communicable disease, um, she actually has to go out and do a daily observation therapy uh, five days a week for um, nine months. And so that's, it's, um, can add a lot to her schedule, along with if she has Lyme, norovirus, uh, flu, those type of things, she has to actually communicate with the person who has um, the communicable disease. Um, so we're very happy to have her, um, and she adds a lot to our Board of Health key initiatives. And I think that's all I have. Smaller than I thought. Questions? Okay, I didn't make a list, do you? <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I'm working in chapels anyways. <laughs>
we thought the restaurant list was coming, George. You know, it's funny though. Nice to see a face. Uh, I hear the name, but I had never seen the face, which I, I suppose is good. You know, for a lot of reasons. Right. <laughs> What's amazing is, um, you know, what um, there was really not a lot of mentioning of pandemics and. A large portion of Kathy's time since she's been here was obviously dealing with the pandemic, and I think I speak for all of us. Um, not quite sure what we would have done without her. Um, she, calm, professional, everything throughout that entire madness. Uh, her and the Board of Health staff did a phenomenal job, and it's nice to actually see. I know I brought it up, but it's nice to see a presentation about and have your response be, I didn't know that's all you did. It's a lot, a lot of stuff, like clinics, fairs, um, lots of outreach. Um, so it's uh, great to have Kathy's leadership here. Well, I, I think that's one of the prime reasons we do these deep dives. Right. A lot of people have learned a lot of things about what goes on in this town that they didn't know happened. I just wish we put the chairman of the council on, but was one other person, I think. Melanie's back there. Oh, I know. Oh, uh, Tom Oh, I know. Zoom. I see. Yeah. So, no questions? Okay, to replay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you all for the, uh, the uh, enlightening. I don't, do you need the, the, the projector cable there? Uh, yes. Really? You do. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, everybody. All right. Yeah, we do have storm water, though. Yeah, one last issue. Um, through you, Mr. Chairman, so the uh, the council, I know you were watching, uh, had a discussion on uh, stormwater credits. This is how you save money on your forthcoming stormwater utility fee. I signed um, And um, Brutus is not needed uh, because we have Kate and Derek, uh, Derek Adams and Kate Silver to uh, give a short overview of how people can find out about their property and a quick overview on how people may be able to do things to their property to save money from this utility. Um, and uh, we're predicting, Mr. Chairman, in a few weeks, there's no vote or anything, but just any feedback the group may have would be helpful. Um, the town council will consider this in about a month to ratify what we call the credits manual. Um, and I'll pass it over to Kate and Derek just to give a quick overview of the resources and where they can find all the information. Mm -hmm. Hi, <laughs> uh, my name is Kate Schoenberg. I'm the GIS coordinator uh, for the town of Franklin. Um, I've been working for the town for 10 years, as of this week. Um, and actually, when I first started, I did not know what stormwater was, and now... Now you great. wish you didn't. <laughs> That's not an understatement. Um, this is the stormwater division website, which is just right on uh, a page from the uh, town website. This is where we host all of the information about our stormwater program. We have a ton of information here. Um, we've got our stormwater management plan, which is a very big document that we update yearly, um, which is, there's a lot of information on there about what we have to do um, as a town for stormwater. The 
main point that I want to talk about tonight is the impervious area map. Um, this relates to residents if they are curious about the impervious area that is on their property and they want to know what kind of stormwater utility fee they're looking at, they can come here to this story map. And it's a very simple tool to use. Why don't you, uh, you can use my address or anybody's address as an example. Seven Sherman. Seven Sherman. Okay. Should be three thousand. <laughs> That's the view plus. Yes, three thousand two hundred seventy-six. That All happens need... to be my phone number too. No. <laughs> 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 You can either type in your address into this little bar or you can just zoom to uh, the area of town that you live in. Um, and when you find your property and you zoom in, everything that's in red um, is considered impervious area and it will show how many square feet of impervious area you have. So in this situation, it's 3,276 square feet, um, which is three billing units. Um, so it's a very simple tool to use. We also have, there's a lot of information here in general just on the utility, um, some background on stormwater in general, what the town has been doing uh, relating to stormwater over the last decade. Um, it's a really great resource and a really, um, it's an important resource, it's very dense, um, but almost any question you have can be answered through here. So that's our impervious area map. So what does the impervious area tell you? That is how we're basing the utility fee. So various properties, some properties have a very small amount of impervious area. It's basically your house, your driveway. Um, some properties in town are much larger, so they'll pay a larger stormwater utility fee. Um, I'll let Derek explain a bit more about the fee itself. Self and the program. Sure. I suppose. Um, do you want to give a background, or do you want to jump right into the draft? I can. Do you want me to start with the draft, and then I will, and then I can answer any more questions you guys have. Um, okay. So we have the draft of the credit manual. Uh, I believe it's a very strong document as presented. I will sum it up as simply as I can. It's about 17 pages. Um, a lot of that is some technical jargon regarding um, the certain types of um, infrastructure you could install to receive a credit. But ultimately, I can summarize it this way. It's under two umbrellas. One is a small user credit, which is five billable units or less, and that applies to every residential property in town, plus any other parcel that's five billable units or less. And then there's the standard credit, um, which is five plus billable units. Each of those is divided into two categories for an ultimate um, eligibility of credit for 50%. So you could receive 25% credit for stormwater treatment and 25% for stormwater storage. Stormwater treatment would be, for a small user, um, a rain garden, something that filters the rainwater before it goes back into the ground. Stormwater storage would be, for example, a rain barrel, which would reduce peak flow rates during um, a significant precipitation event. Can I ask a question on sure. that? Because I saw that the, the notification just came out about the purchase of them. Is that how you're, like, how are you recording who has one of them? Or do you have to, like, put in for yep. whatever? So that's another piece of it. So for the small user credit, that's we're going to be setting it up through Viewpoint. It's going to be annually. You're going to have to apply for it. And the reason that it's going to be 
annually is because we will need to come out and check and make sure it's still hooked up quick simply we, we want to make sure that if we're giving the credit for something that those that, that it's appropriate um, is, there a cost? is there a cost for rainbow barrel or are they free there, no there is a cost um, the town has been partnering with the great american rain barrel for four and a half years um mm -hmm. Our spring program is currently open now. Um, the rain barrels on average are about $79 a barrel. Um, usually they're about 140, so we do get a discounted price to the Great American Rain Barrel. Um, the town also, the DPW offers a $50 rebate through our water conservation program for the purchase of a rain barrel. Um, it's a limit of two per household, but $50 off, $79 is a bargain for a rain barrel. It's a It is. Somebody just installed rain barrels. That is a very good price. It's a pretty good rain barrel. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're nice. They're nice. Can you make your own? Yes. Okay. Um, it does have to be to um, to get the rebate. It does have to be a minimum of fifty-five gallons. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, you can make your own, and if it meets that qualification, you can apply for a credit for it for sure. And they're very simple to make. You can find, oh, yeah, find the barrel. Have. Okay, you're perfect. <laughs> and I have fifty-five gallon containers. So. Okay. I know what to do. Perfect rain barrel. <laughs> and then for the standard user credit, that would be uh, applied for every five years. That's a little more intensive. So for those um, pieces of infrastructure, that's going to be more like a detention basin, something that's specifically engineered for a larger parcel or a storm scepter, which, yes, they will have to apply every five years. It's going to take a lot more work on our end to go out and inspect them. Um, but that's the, if you have a storm scepter installed, we know that it's not really going anywhere, whereas a rain barrel you could very easily detach from your from your town's boat. That makes sense. Thank you. Is there how do you use a rain barrel? That was a question. I mean, mm -hmm. can you hook the hose to the bottom and water mm -hmm. the grass? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You just yep. need to make sure yeah. that you raise it up about six feet so that it You'd have to capture runoff from something. Runoff. Yeah, so if either from your driveway, if your driveway was pitched to a certain area and you were to create a rain, a rain garden there. But it, it would have to capture. What about, like, uh, I think the term is riprap? <laughs> the stone along the sides of the driveway where the water, most driveways are capped. So mm -hmm. The water runs off into the side. This is not necessarily me, but you're going to get asked the question. Mm -hmm. yeah, we, oh, yeah. Is that a credit? No. no. Rip wrap in itself is not. It no, would slow it, the peak flow rate, but it wouldn't store it and it wouldn't treat it. I looked at it, and there's on here one of those pictures has a strip that's two feet wide and ten feet long of crushed stone. Am I wrong? So that is, a, I believe, a picture of a swale, no, which is a bit more engineered. Right 
this one right here or yeah, this. so this is a, so this one right here is a swale it's difficult to see but that is basically pitched to that trench and then underneath that there's an it's an infiltration trench so there's a lot more there's a, like a subsurface structure under there so that's not just simply stone right. there's more to that okay this theoretically the drive most driveways drain off that side anyway and it looked just flipping through the brochure it looked to me like it was crushed stone for 10 feet and two feet wide it may say different yeah it's an infiltration trench yeah. yes which is I a subsurface structure i didn't bother to read that because it's just crushed stone <laughs> right so gotta read the book. just a point okay move on that's my summary of the credit manual. Um, it's that's as simple as it is. Small user, small user credit, standard credit, give maximum fifty percent credit, twenty five percent for stormwater storage, twenty five percent for stormwater treatment. Um, abatements. So if anybody is uh, residents have been um, contacting us over the last couple of weeks, for anybody who has viewed their parcel and notices a discrepancy, they can just send me an email. They can send Kate an email. They can call the DBW office. The word will get to me. We'll put you on the queue. We have a big long list. Uh, we've been chipping away at them. We'll come out to your property with your permission, get a set of eyes on it. If you have a gravel driveway that is not supposed to be captured as an impervious area, we will uh, remove that automatically before the bills are sent out for FY24. Same thing goes for structures that you might not have anymore. If there's a shed that used to be on your property um, that has been taken down within the last year or since the impervious area layer was created, which was in 2019, um, then we'll, we'll go in, we'll confirm in the field, and we'll remove that too. So we are we understand that the data is not perfect, and if there are issues that need to happen now, we can take care of that now. Once the utility is officially in place, you can still file for an abatement, which is essentially the same process. Um, it's just a little more paperwork. So we're trying to get all that stuff fixed now before the bill actually goes up. Until the first. Um, well, we've, we've, we've been, been, the last month here. we've been doing field work every day. <laughs> we've been looking at property, so people, residents are looking um, and um, everyone received the insert with the uh, quarterly tax bill. We put yes. it in the stormwater insert, so presumably anybody who gets a quarterly tax bill has read that this is coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I used to be a banker and we put thousands of inserts and statements and nobody read any. No. So, you know, it just doesn't. We know some people are reading because we're getting very busy. I can tell you there's a lot to read. Yeah. 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 So, if anybody has any feedback or ideas, you know, it's a good opportunity, but, you know, I'm sure most people just want to save money. How many rain barrels do you have to have in order to get the credit? You have to be able to capture a minimum of 500 square feet. Um, so if you have it on, if you've got two rain barrels hooked up onto half of your roof, and half of that roof is if it's capturing 500 square feet, then that qualifies. You could have two, you could have 10. Gotcha. As long as it's capturing 500 square feet, then you can get credit for it. Gotcha. But if you had a 200 square foot shed, it wouldn't be appropriate for a rain no. barrel to receive credit. Right. Understood. I guess what? I'll ask the question that somebody's going to ask again. Right now, you saw my house, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It has drain pipes on the four corners of the house. Drink water comes down the drain and goes right to the ground. What you're telling me is that if I put a, a rain barrel at the end of that pipe, cool. same pipe or whatever, 
same pipe into the rain barrel, and then you then turn around and water the lawn with it, which is essentially the same process. I can get credit for the barrel, but not for the drain pipe. Right? We're offering the rain barrels as to people who feel like they're doing the right thing and what we think is doing the right thing and to bring awareness to the problem. What we found is that there's a group of people and a large group of people who care about the environment and care about these nature-based solutions to a very complicated problem. I, I understand that, yep. but I also know that that every time somebody proposes a building that they say, you can't do it because we don't have enough water. And that's because they don't listen to Brutus say that it isn't the water supply, <laughs> it's the restriction from the... No one's... No, sorry, maybe I'm a skeptic. Not of this, mm -hmm. of getting people to read things. That's all. Yeah. That, in a nutshell. You know, we thought the, um, the insert was, was like, you know, the key, but for any of you who do like outreach or marketing and stuff like that, right? I mean, when you get a 10% return on junk mail, like they're celebrating. And so I think, um, I think to Derek's point, um, and you know, we did these with the stormwater listening committee. Um, we found that people really were paying attention. I think most people somehow are, or they'll figure it out and it may take a little while. But um, it's just kind of consistent, rinse and repeat, just going and trying to get people to pay attention. Because the truth is, is um, I've already had a handful of people come in to absolutely guaranteeing me that the slip was not in the bill. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, how many bills carry? 12,000, like 12,000 bills? Like, I don't know. I mean, it just gets absurd to some degree. And I think all of it to some degree is a little bit of that. But um, you just kind of keep moving forward and try to hopefully through forums like tonight and other ways that you keep another 10 people or 20 people might hear it and they tell their neighbor and you know grassroots word of mouth is usually the most effective way oh did you hear about this you know maybe you don't want to go bring this up to your neighbors <laughs> uh, you know the new fee that's coming uh, but you're right George people just don't have the time also and I do I will say one last thing I've, I've said this and the council has also done this where Brutus and I, and Kate and Derek and I have talked about this. Like a lot of times, people just want us to make the decision for them. <laughs> and so we're trying to do the best thing we can with what we have in terms of what the EPA is telling us to do. And we are trying to relieve the kind of mental pressure off the average citizen to say, we've got this, we've taken care of it. If you have time, read the manual, apply for some credits. If you don't, don't. Um, but um, you know, I'm sure as this evolves, the data will get better, the abatement process will get better. Kind of, we're stuck with it for a long time, so it'll consistently evolve. Um, no, I was just going to say, I'm glad to hear that people are, because I'm a skeptic as well, and I feel like people just—if you if sometimes if you don't go digging in for information about the town, it's yeah, you—you know—you're you, not aware of it. So I'm glad to hear people are reaching out. I would say, in terms of you were asking for feedback, I think where people will react the most is when they see it on the bill. That'll be the last people who write who didn't pay attention to it. So if there's if we can add language there about some of these things, like interested in finding out about credits, like yeah. go here, if you can add that language in there, I think hopefully that would be helpful as well. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, Great idea. Let's get to Mr. Sherlock. <laughs> Steve Sherlock, uh, citizen reporting for Franklin Matters. Just to add to the communication campaign, which is also coming along with this, uh, we've already been working. They've compiled a list of ten top 10 questions 
based on the volume, there may be some more questions, but we will put together a work waiting with uh, TB to give us some actual studio time. The core team will come to the studio, give a little bit of depth in terms of the overview, record that, record the questions and answers, and provide that on a repeat for Franklin TV. It'll be available for YouTube. Lily Rivera with communications will do all her thing with short video snips and other photos, et cetera. So the intent is to have the recording done, the products available by the end of March, so that in April, May, and June, we'll be able to get people's attention so they can do something because the bill's gonna come out in July. So yeah, hopefully most people will have had the opportunity and for those who just, you know, sit by and ignore it, well, okay, we'll have done our best. So thanks for the opportunity. Okay. A billing question. What, have we set the rate? Yeah. 1866 per bill. Okay. 1866. You said my house was three billing mm -hmm. units. Mm -hmm. So it's below thousand. So if the house had 3,900 square feet, it's three still. No, it's 4,000. So it got hit round. It's natural rounding. Starting yeah. at 3,500. Mm -hmm. So. So 3,501 is 4,000. 3,499 is 3,000. Mm -hmm. okay, that might. That's going to be a confusion point too. And so it's, let's look for ease, $20. So it's $60 a year? Yes. A quarter. A year. So on the bill, each time it's going to be 15? It will hopefully be divided into four bills. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's that is the goal. kind of like, eventually it will be divided X, but yes. you get it in four installments. Eventually it will be four installments. Um, while we're building the utility in our financial software, the year one may be one bill, but we are not sure about all that yet. Um, so just kind of got to kind of wait and see. Um, I have one question about bills. Don't get old. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, yeah. Um, no, can't remember. It was a good one, too. <laughs> Uh, anybody else, guys? Any more comments? No, thank you. Thank you, Thanks, Thanks, Thank you. Congratulations. Just leave your phone number somewhere. Yeah. That Ten years ago. Everybody can oh, find us. Yes, yeah. you're on the Stormwater website. Uh, well, Derek is. I'm on the GIS page, but <laughs> if you call the DPW, don't find us. Actually, that's I am on the of experience right there. Well, full disclosure, I am on the Rain Barrel page. That's my program. <laughs> That look good in the resume. Yeah. 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 Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you. I think that's it, yes? Yep, just have the, um, you know, I think we're pretty booked up for the next few months. Excuse me. I asked you, but uh, other edification, standing updates, no. I had never seen standing updates. It was on the last meeting. We just did it because did there was like the go I put the governor's letter. I put the stabilization account update. There was like some standing announcements. And at one point, I had the agenda. There was like four things, and I went, "I'm not going to agenda." So I just put them under standing updates. Okay. And I was like, the only one I have is the stabilization accounts. And I was like, we just went over those last month, so I just moved on. Future agenda. Um, what's the since I terminated the quote membership to the joint budget, 
or all of that, you know, that assignment yeah. thing. Is any member of the committee welcome at the joint budget? So the, the, the joint budget has to be the three people that were put up to be on the budget portion of things. Um, there has to be three members that are picked because the committee is 10 members, four counselors, three FinCom, three school committee. So anyone can attend, okay, but there's, there's got to be three people to deliberate. So if you get a chance, let me know by email, and we'll make sure we... I, will I just need the name so that on, on March 8th, that's when I'll release the budget, the first round of the budget model, and the FinCom school committee and town council have a debate or discussion on um, the budget deficit. It's it's an interesting meeting. Um, so, but at some point, I have to have limited three because if you start getting into four, then you now all of a sudden, then the quorum issues start kicking in. That's why the other boards have that same. Thing. If we just haven't had one in what two years? Or more? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, not sure. They want to meet more, but we can't find dates on people's calendars to be able to meet because everyone wants to meet. But we're booked. We're meeting. Well, we'll figure it out. George, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you call each member or email member to reply to all, and then um, and maybe I'll go back and look at the list. We might have taken off the website. Figure it out and just send me an email so that everybody knows who's going to go and so I can. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just a, a heads up. Um, the May budget hearings are perhaps the four most important meetings we do all year. So think ahead. I, do you have the dates off the top of your head? Yep. They're all they're on the calendar. They're on the calendar. Look on the calendar and just try to make sure that you are available. Most of the time we end up with only three. We'll do that probably again. Yeah, there's four set, but I would like not to have to come up short. Right. So those are important. What time is it? They're usually seven to nine. Okay. Hang on. Yeah, it depends. Depends on the department. School department's going to take a long time. Yeah. Um, others are slamming. Slam like our no. Huh? Like our no. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. They're, they're not going to go. They're not going to be 10 o'clock meetings, I don't think. Are we scheduled for the 8th through the 11th? Yeah. 8th through the 11th. Yeah. Okay. But just put those down as important. Monday you ought to be. Monday through Thursday. Sorry. They typically, we haven't gotten to all four yet, at least in the last few years that I remember. We did four, four meetings maybe four years ago. We trimmed it down to three by putting DPW in public safety that night. Yeah. So just, I just want to make that point. I'll send out an email on the, uh, the budget. Uh, and community preservation next month? I mean, April. April. Okay. Anything else, guys? Motion to adjourn? Okay. All those in favor? Aye. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. 
If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.